As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week, trying to turn his blood, sweat, and tears poor with a little bit of green in it go. You can find me, smoke right by. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Support for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, Manscaped. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Add me to the list. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You want 20% off and free shipping? Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code JED, and you will receive a huge discount for your next grooming experience. Check them out at manscaped.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Johnny Bracket Racer and the Psycho Stripper. Big Jed, how are you? Luke, I am well. Uh, Really looking forward to this week's show. And outside of that, just uh, things are going really well. It's beautiful weather and got racing going on and just a lot of good stuff happening for us to talk about so 
kind of everything's laying out perfect for the the podcast here how about yourself yeah Fresh off a win by the way yeah yeah uh, local sunday night into monday morning win those make for the best podcast episodes full transparency <laughs> we're recording late at night uh just uh i think this was uh my demands more so than anybody else's but it was literally the only time that we could get together this week so uh if we sound a little bit punch drunk i think we've all uh coming off a long day and a little bit of lack of sleep but uh fun show fun show today um we've we start off we've got big announcements from uh, I think it's safe to say that the two richest events on the calendar. Uh, we've got a few notable results from last weekend. We did our best to condense those as much as possible because we wanted to get into uh, a little bit broader, I guess more intangible subject. Um, in terms of, here's the question that we asked, right? Would the standout stars of today's bracket racing world have been as successful or just flat have been successful period 20 years ago so we dig into that as well it's a fun episode hope you enjoy it as much as we do jed i think we'll jump right into it but first dj no fueled up i was born ready show up in the winner's circle i pop the bottle and pop confetti like cool hair call me luke got a hand and stay steady i flip the rig grab another ride jed let's begin with two big announcements um really just came across shortly prior to recording this week's show um announcements from two of if not the two richest events of the season first off the great american guaranteed million has made it official we said a couple of um shoot several weeks ago now on the show that um, they'd announced that they were not going to hold that race at memphis they were not going to hold that race memorial day weekend the details have now come into focus great american guaranteed million heads to capital city raceway that's montgomery alabama late in the season november 10th through the 14th Uh, a day or two prior to that announcement Kyle Riley and the team at SFG announced that their annual, this would be the second annual SFG million, uh, quote unquote million, has been cut in half. It now becomes the SFG 500. That is at US 131 uh, Motorsports Park in Martin, Michigan, July 4th weekend. So instead of the guaranteed million dollars to win, guaranteed half a million dollars to win, obviously the entry fee has been slashed, reduced as well what were to be surrounding $100,000 races now become surrounding $50,000 races. Jed, let's take them one at a time. Um, Great American Guaranteed Million to Montgomery. Thoughts? I think it's a great move, Luke. Uh, Historically, that facility has produced monster crowds in the fall for uh, the million-dollar race that was held there for many years, which is the OG, as we know. Uh, Capital City Motorsports Park, CCMP, is uh, is going to look better and function better than it has in quite some time, Luke. And that's not a knock on the previous management or ownership, but it does have fresh ownership and management with Ben Willis and the people in his corner. And those guys are updating like crazy. Uh, they have, on top of purchasing the facility, Luke, they've probably already spent three to four hundred thousand dollars in upgrades they're very serious they are committed and they are long time investors ready to 
to make drag racing great again in central Alabama. And I think the, the guaranteed million did itself a favor by finding a facility that can handle a large crowd and a facility that's very hungry, the ownership that's very hungry to show the world what they're capable of. I think it's a perfect match. And I think it's going to lead to a very, very, very successful event. And uh, certainly I'm looking forward to it. Memphis is not a place that I'm crazy about going. The ride there from where I'm at is just a little bit rough and aggravating. Um, so I wasn't sure I was going to get to be a part of that. But now it's in my home state an hour and a half down the road. So if I seem overly excited, there is some, some definite, uh, I guess, bias in there and i'm i'm super jacked about this event coming to to my home state in capital city motorsports park and definitely going to do everything in my power to be a part of possibly for for slightly different reasons i'm with you jed like i am i am bullish on this move i think this is a great call on behalf of galen Britt and that staff with the great american guaranteed million it is interesting to think back I mean, what kind of odds could you have gotten, Jed, if you had said um, five months ago, the the richest race in uh, in 2021 will be relocated to Montgomery? Like that that would have been off yeah. the charts, right? No chance. Yeah. No chance. Uh, following the the way that the million dollar race went uh, at the end of last season, I mean, we said it here on the show, like there's a there's a possibility that you know our type of racing never returns to that facility you know i mean and the the turn of events there and it just it speaks to what ben willis and his team have have already done there in terms of not just the the work that they've gotten done but the perception of the facility i mean it's obvious when you look at pictures that they have poured um time money energy tremendous resources into that facility and to to have that showcased or rewarded or however you want to look at it by basically again you're taking the what's now undisputedly the richest event of 2021 bringing it to that facility um i I think it's awesome i'm excited for it i also think it's a really good fit um for this event particularly it's it's a good fit regardless but particularly given the circumstances for a couple of reasons number one we talked about this before it checks all the boxes of this race in terms of this race at memphis a year ago was best supported as as we talked about by tennessee georgia texas if you want a facility that geographically checks those boxes and is capable of holding an event of this magnitude, you're pretty limited, right? Montgomery checks all of those boxes. Yes. And particularly when it's it's funny to say that we're late in the game here in, in late April, but in terms of scheduling an event for 2021, when you've got to draw it up this late, uh, dates, facilities, like the calendar, it, it's 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 not your friend, right? Because all of the other races are established, they're set, this is what's going on, this is kind of, now you're having to work around them. So really, I'm not going to say the only, but the logical time on the calendar for an event like this to work is at the tail end, 
right, in October, November, somewhere late, late in the season. And obviously, if you're going to race late in the season, you've got to race far enough south for the weather to be conducive to that. Montgomery, again, checks those boxes. Like, I just think all the way around, this is a an excellent fit. Yeah, very good points. Um, you know, the uh, again, the track has always been good there, Luke, and there's been some cool fall nights for the OG, uh, but the track's always held up extremely well. They've only made it better. They've ground it. They've made sure that it's very, very smooth. Uh, people are saying that it's the smoothest surface they've ever been on. Uh, the traction is going to be there. They're adding things like jet dryers and some equipment to make sure that if they do get any bad breaks or inclement weather, you know, they're, they're going to be able to deal with that in as timely a fashion as possible. Those are the things that big events need to get participation, to make sure that people's comfort level is there with the, the facility's ability to, you know, put the race on. For, for lack of a better term, obviously the promoters are doing it, but facility plays a large part in that and they've, they're going to have everything. So a very exciting move again. I know that I'm probably seemingly over, over jacked about it, but uh, really excited about it and, and looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I think it's a, a perfect match between great promotion team and a facility that is going to be better than ever. The parallel to that event, obviously the the SFG Million, as we alluded to earlier, made a um, I don't know surprising is probably not the right word, um, but but a, an announcement that uh, I think was a little bit unexpected in terms of uh, scaling back a little bit on the guaranteed million um, for this summer, making that into a five hundred thousand dollar to win race. Now we talked. Um, what two episodes ago about the SFG 500 in Bradenton, Florida, and how the perception at least was that uh, car count was down, that uh, it was not going to be a profitable event, and nobody likes to see that, right? At, at any any level of the sport, but particularly when a promoter sticks their neck out to guarantee purses of that magnitude, right? And that's if you watched any of um, Kyle Riley's video on this announcement. That's kind of what he spoke to us. Is and it wasn't. I thought he did a really good job of presenting this. It wasn't a pity party like, oh, poor me, you know, I, I just, our, our team lost six figures on the last race, which I I think he probably did, right? It was more along the lines of like, hey, look, racers have come to me and said, we don't, we don't want to see anybody take a bath. You know, like, it would be fine on our end if we scaled this back a little bit. And they developed a, a what's going to be framed as a, as a racer-friendly structure, and, and it ultimately is, it, it it obviously decreases the entry fee significantly over the course of the weekend. Still guarantees life-changing money, guaranteed $500,000 to win. Um, at a facility, we just talked about the upgrades at Montgomery. Um, I can speak to the, the facility at US-131. Like To have an event of this magnitude, I don't know that I've ever been to a facility more suited for a mega bracket race into of everything like the racetrack's awesome the timing system's amazing and the parking i mean i was at a race there that had 700 plus entries and there was plenty more room i mean you could you could park a lot of cars at martin michigan um but i guess overall any thoughts on was did you see the writing on the wall for this i don't i i think when i look at this jed I don't think that I would have worried necessarily for 
uh, the the SFG team, had this been the the guaranteed million that they promoted, I think that would fly. I think they've built up enough equity. I think that's a strong enough location, a good enough time of year. I don't think they would have gotten hurt. Um, but that's easy for me to say. Like, I also wouldn't be running out to partner with Kyle Riley and be like, hey, this is a home run. Let's jump in together. You know what I mean? Like, I see the trepidation, particularly after you just took a bath um, at, at the race at Bradenton for reasons that may or not may or may not be related. Um, I just, I think, I, I don't, I cannot speak to the, the financial situation of SFG. I would have to assume that it's difficult enough to withstand one event that loses on a big scale to have two back to back, I think would be difficult to recover from. Um, so that's probably some of the logic here, but I, I kind of stole the, 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 the baton from you there, Jed, like, what are your thoughts? What, did you see this coming? Are you surprised? Um, and what do you think it means going forward? Definitely didn't see it coming, Luke. Um, surprised. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a word you could attach to to my feelings on this. But reality is, he's got a year under his belt with the million. So he knew the pre-entry numbers leading up to that, and he knew how the turnout was how it ultimately happened. So you know, obviously those guys got hurt financially in Bradenton. I don't know what the numbers were, but you said possibly six figures it's not i hadn't put a pencil to it because it's none of my business but it's not hard to say to look at that and say yeah that was that was a six-figure uh loss so now he's got the pre-entry numbers leading up to july the 4th this year which by the way is not very far away i've got an event that weekend myself so i know how close it is and you're basically looking at numbers year over year. And my guess is that they're not adding up to anywhere close to what he was seeing last year. So uh, I would guess that, you know, another loss of that magnitude would be devastating to the company. I mean, not, you know, it's a, it's a, it's been a great business model, but I, it's, I don't think it's one that can take that kind of losses back to back in that short a period of time. So my guess is that a lot of the people that he's talked to uh, have told him, look, you know, last year we didn't get to do much, if any, racing prior to that. There was quite a bit more disposable income and we gambled on the, the uh, investment that it takes to come race for the 1.1 million. This year, there has been a lot of very good racing and there's a lot more on the table and maybe the disposable income is not there for people to, to make that investment July the 4th weekend. He listened to his customers. He listens to his checkbook and made a business decision to, to make this event fit more people. It, it's fitting a, a larger number of people's budget by lowering that investment number quite a bit and you know quite frankly uh, i would have probably done the same thing if i had gone through what he just went through at bradenton so i, I say it's a good move it's still life-changing money it's still something that you don't get to race for very often 
so it's going to be an event that's uh, held in very high regards on the sportsman drag racing landscape and i truly believe that it was a very good decision and i truly hope that it works out very well for him and he recovers some of what happened at bradenton and has a very successful event because sfg model is important to the racing community i think it's been very good for drag racers and i would definitely like to see that continue one thing that really intrigued me in watching um, Kyle's presentation, the video, again, like they're going to come out with a, a detailed flyer on this so that we can see it all in writing. But the one thing that Kyle had said was in making the surrounding $100,000 races, $50,000 to win races, they're going to get back to kind of the original SFG model in terms of this race when compared with the 100 granders that were on the flyers. That was that were on the original flyer. Um, instead of paying a hundred thousand dollars to win, they're going to pay fifty thousand dollars to win. But the round money is actually going to be higher than it was going to be for the hundred granders. And again, that's kind of back to the original SFG model. The first couple of years of their races, you didn't have to win races to cover the weekend. Like if you got very richly rewarded for simply going rounds day after day after day, it was one of the more intriguing aspects to their purse structure. Um, and in more recent years, that's they've gone away from that a little bit. I personally, just as a racer, I'm happy to see that come back. I feel like uh, by and large, um, we all tend to focus a little bit too much on the big prize at the top and not pay a lot of attention to the payback when in reality, it's just one racer that's gonna get the prize at the top. More of the field is going to be splitting up the rest of that payback. Yeah, very good point. You know, Luke, it's it's definitely a wonderful thing to to get your investment back as early as possible, and the the new structure is going to help people accomplish just that, which you know is important when you're going to have as much racing left in the year as as we're going to have left. So, uh, I think it again, very good move on Kyle's part, great business decision, and I'm hopeful that the racing community goes and supports it in large numbers like they did last year. And, you know, I think we've seen when Kyle wins and SFG wins and does well, it just leads itself to better things for the racers. So uh, I certainly believe that that will, that will continue to happen if, uh, if he gets the kind of support that he needs in, uh, in Martin, Michigan, July the 4th weekend. So uh, still a great race, 500K with 50Ks around it and great round money. Should should work out very well for him. All right, Jed. One of my favorite things about hosting this podcast, outside of getting to talk to you every week or every other week, which is obviously yeah. the highlight. Um, yeah, absolutely. I love to have the types of discussions that are mm, theoretical, um, that spark debate, mainly because no one can disprove us <laughs> that part's fun right can't, yeah. I mean, you can call me an idiot but you can't really prove that i'm an idiot right um and in full transparency like the the points of discussion can't necessarily be proven either right it's it's a very intangible thing when we get into these conversations in other words it doesn't really have a, a fit or a meaning anywhere it just makes for amazing podcast content that's what i want to get to today before we go there we had a brief uh a, a, a truncated is that the right word 
not many results from last weekend, but we do have a couple to get to. Um, I think it rained just about everywhere in the country, at least on Saturday. Um, but there were a couple of events that I think are worth touching on. So in order to get to the more fun stuff, um, I'm going to enlist producer Mark here. Producer Mark, 10-minute timer. We're going to see if we can keep this brief. Um, results from the weekend that was. Jed, kick us off with the Fat Boy Mafia 70 grander. Yeah, Paige Hamlin, Troy Morgan, and the, the team at Extreme Raceway Park uh, come up with this event a while back, and Paige has done a wonderful job of promoting it. Um, we'll get quickly looped to the to main event, the $70,000 shootout. And I think it was 128 people that paid their way into that, if I remember correctly. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I believe this is the richest event in the history of the state of Texas. Yeah, well, 70K is uh, is no laughing matter for sure. That is a huge event, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. But um, when it was all said and done, a couple of guys that are no strangers to the winter circle battled it out for the $70,000 check. And Dylan Von Traeger got the win in his beautiful uh, G-body Malibu. I got the win over Coy Collier. We know Coy is uh, certainly a threat to win anytime he's on the racetrack, whether there's a throttle stop involved or not. Um, comes up a little short there to Dylan Bonstrager in that $70,000 final. But, uh, Luke, it was a, by and large, a fantastic event. I think they had a little bit of a weather delay, maybe sometime Friday, and they had to finish Friday's racing on Sunday. But Saturday was all about that $70,000 shootout and, a, and, a, and a, another bracket race that they had. Over 300 entries, uh, amazing crowd. That's something we don't get to see a lot out there. So, very proud of Paige Hamlin and Troy Morgan and the folks at XRP for pulling that off. Um, Paige even uh, stated that she wanted to make sure Dylan Lee got a shout out from her because uh, it was his first time behind the mic and, and he did a great job. I, I tuned in a little bit, got to watch some. be honest, I did not know who was behind the mic, but I was telling JJ as we got a chance to listen that uh, guy's good. I don't know that I've ever heard him before, but uh, he's, he was doing a really good job. So, uh, that was Dylan Lee and Dylan did a, a fantastic job. Luke, just a, a really big crowd at, I don't know if you've seen much of this facility, but, uh, extreme raceway park is unbelievable. It is a beautiful place and, uh, just a very, very successful event for Paige and, and Troy Morgan, the folks at environmental oil recovery, which is a sponsor at, at our, uh, big $250,000 foot break race as well. It was, a really good to see that you know i just kind of took for granted i knew that Paige was partnering with troy morgan on this event and i didn't for whatever reason it just didn't register with me i was actually i had a conversation with galen rollison last week and he was talking about how in the big picture in the grand scheme of things how important he thought that race was he just and i, I think part of that is within galen's background like galen's got two daughters and he said, I don't, I don't think we've ever had a female promote a big dollar bracket race. Like, I want this to go well. I want, uh, you know, uh, this is, this is groundbreaking. This is a, this is a big step within our, um, our market. And I, I never put that together, but he's right. Like, this is, this is a big thing for, and I, and I cannot think of a female that has put on a race of this magnitude uh, or been deeply involved in the promotion. And by all accounts, this went glowingly 
Um, so kudos to Paige. And um, like I say, it's something that I think we could have easily brushed over because we just think of Paige as, as, as another promoter, as one of the guys. But this is a first. Like, this is this is a big deal. It is a real big deal. Paige is heavily involved in racing, has been for many, many years. Uh, she's done a lot of marketing within the sport. But taking this task on, especially in a market that hasn't shown tremendous results when people have stepped out there, but her and Troy had the vision and the vision became reality. Uh, very special to see, very proud of them and, and definitely uh, hope that paves the way for other females or, or any minority that, that maybe has not been involved on the promotion level to, to take a shot because um, it ain't easy. And, and Paige would be the first to tell you that, but it's great to see somebody step out there and, and it pay off very well for them. Look, there was a, obviously a bottom bulb component to it as well. Chad Sandlin, which we see him win over in that area of the country a lot. Uh, he won uh, Noe and uh, Carson Wheeler won an electronics in Saturday's main event bracket race. And then uh, Chuck Weir won on the top. And my old buddy Drew Porsche ran himself in the final of the no electronics on uh, on Friday's race that wrapped up on Sunday, which uh, very difficult to run yourself in the final. And Drew took both entries to the final round. Very talented young man from the Houston area. Uh, got it done in his pickup. So really good to see. Hats off to Paige, Troy, all the folks at Extreme Raceway Park. And on behalf of them, where we, we've got people tuning in, uh, thank you, racers, for showing up big time and supporting their dream. Uh, you, you helped them really accomplish something special. Congrats to the winners. Kudos to Paige. NHRA Division II Lucas Oil Series made its way to South Georgia Motorsports Park. I won't go through all of the details. We're going to try to uh, try to stay on task here. But a couple of things stood out to me um, in terms of I feel like world championship bids were solidified on, let's say, three counts in South Georgia. Wes Neely's start to the stock eliminator season in 2021 has been like a feel-good story to this point, right? Wes has got a slow stalker, a la Jody Lang. Obviously, Wes, very talented behind the wheel, but you just don't see slow, you know, on down the alphabet stock eliminator cars have tremendous success. Wes started his season with a win and a runner-up back-to-back and solidified that. Yet again, he was in another final round um, in South Georgia, took runner-ups again. So again, that's a one win, two runner-ups in his first five events in stock. He is a bona fide threat to win the 2021 Stock Eliminator World Championship. Obviously, it's early in the season, but no one has had a better start than Wes Neely. In addition to those three final rounds along the NHRA Tour, Wes also made his way, again, with this, I think it's a J-Stock Automatic Trans Am, made his way to the big stock super stock combo events at both south georgia and up at st louis and was deep in both of those i think a semi and a runner up there as well so this has not been a flash in the pan this has been a pretty dominating season to this point for west neely and like i say uh he definitely solidified the idea that he's going to be here for the championship like he's going to be a factor in the world championship run in stock eliminator similarly competition eliminator uh, Richard Prezer, we had spoken before, had back-to-back runner-ups in comp at the two Gainesville events, the, the Baby Gators and the Gators. He backs that up with the competition eliminator win at South Georgia. So now through 
three races, three finals. Obviously, that is a bona fide championship contender early in the season as well. Um, in addition, Darian Bosch, uh, reigning NHRA top sportsman world champion, advanced to his second final round of the season. He fell in the top sportsman final to Vince Hoda, but again, that's a win and a uh, runner-up uh, already for Darian Bosch. I said Bosch once. I said Bosch once. I think I've I think I've called him both repeatedly. He's one of them. He's one of them. Yeah. I think I'll answer it either. Um, another uh, quick one, Alan Ackles, runner-up in Supercomp. Um, Ackles hasn't won an event yet in 2021, but he came out of the box with a semifinal finish in Orlando and now has back-to-back runner-ups at the Gator Nationals and this points meet. Now, granted, the way that NHRA points work, a win is much better than a runner-up, but if you're three races in and haven't done worse than the semis, that's pretty solid, right? So Alan Ackles also on pace for a stellar season. And I would say at this point has to join early season standouts, Ray Miller III and Christopher Dodd as championship contenders early in the year. <laughs> Mark's coming on here with the stopwatch. We might not make 10 minutes. We're, 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 we're all about accountability. We're going to be close. Um, <laughs> I'm calling a timeout. <laughs> Give me a T.O., baby. T.O. And we're going into extra innings or, or something here. <laughs> uh, Brad Floyd, top dragster winner at South Georgia. Uh, I believe that's his first win in TD. Brad's pretty good going fast. I, you know, I typed that into the notes. Brad's pretty good in anything, Jed. Yeah, Brad is, uh, you know, he's just a <laughs> – I've called him the most diverse – uh, a racer in bracket racing. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about one that's very diverse that, that has a tremendous amount of ability no matter what, but this guy will throttle stop. He'll go 200 mile an hour in a wheelbarrow. He can run top dragster. He can get right out and run stock. He can go foot brake on Saturday night. I mean, the guy's just the most versatile uh, uh, racer to me that there is out there right now. And he just continues to show it. So great to see bad Brad get the top dragster win. All right, last event that we wanted to touch on. Mark, how are we doing time-wise? Whoa. What was that? I gave you, like, the buzzer. Uh, it, was oh. not a very, it was not a very good buzzer, but it was my buzzer sound. Okay, well, one more event to get to. Whatever, we'll cap this off. Um, the Blackjack Shootout. The Blackjack Shootout, what a cool name. And, and a cool premise. Blackjack 21, right? 21 yeah. grand in. Uh, this was a galat. This was essentially like the the prequel to the fling. Uh, I believe this race went off Sunday. I think it was scheduled for Saturday. Like I said, it rained everywhere in the country on Saturday. Twenty one thousand dollars to win. Uh, a couple days before the spring the the spring fling event starts. And Jed, I think your boy Tommy Cable thought it was the fling. Yeah, I guess if it's a you know I guess if it's a fling event then anything around the fling being held on the same grounds tommy just does what tommy does and goes to a final and he gets the twenty one thousand dollar victory over jamie sirocco uh leading up to you know another huge money event coming up on the same property um obviously cable's driving the the chevy 2 that cisco won the 1.1 million in belongs to anthony bertozzi uh, he's driving for one of the the best racers that'll ever suit up in sportsman drag racing. Uh, you know, Tommy's great already, but something about driving that Chevy too might just make you just a little bit better than last year. So 
he gets it done. Great win for him. And leading up to a week that's that that event is going to be there. It's, you know, got to give him a lot of momentum and certainly his talent and equipment is going to be very helpful in that as well. So look for Tommy to continue on, do great things this week. Tommy Cable, winningest driver in spring fling history. I guess this one doesn't count toward that, but uh, yeah, Tommy Cable, once again, getting it done. All right, Producer Mark, we're, we're done with results. How do we do? 12 minutes. It's not bad. Not bad. Hey, that that's, ain't bad. No, we, that's for as long-winded as we like to get. I'll take that. Much, much better than I expected. <laughs> we, we spent six on the first event and six on the last two so we really had a great back half you know we really got some momentum in the back half we sprayed i want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available subscribe and and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. All right. So we've told you about our great friends at Manscaped and I want to tell you a little bit about the products that those guys sent out that you can get your hands on too. Now the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes crop preserver. Yes, crop preserver. You got to preserve the crop. It's an anti-chafing, junk deodorant and moisturizer. So, you know, you already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your junk stinks. Get that crop preserver and give yourself a little bit better scent. And speaking of bad areas and bad scents, you know, I'm thankful for their crop reviver. And this product, along with the crop preserver, keeps your junk from sweating, smelling, being sticky. I mean, we need that freedom and that comfort to perform at a high level, especially if you're listening to this show, you're probably a racer. So you need that. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts in the Perfect Package 3.0. They put in some high-performance Manscaped boxers, boxer briefs, that is, that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day, and a travel bag, too. You need the Perfect Package 3.0 or any other products from the awesome folks at Manscaped. Now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code JED at manscaped.com. Did you hear me? That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just go there, use the promo code JED, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. All right. Jed, I wanted to get into this. I want to see where this goes and how this registers with you. I had a really interesting discussion 
last week with a, a couple of highly successful let's I would call them Hall of Famers some of you listening to this may call them old heads but the discussion centered around the skill set of the the next generation if you will or really the current generation right the racers who are dominating today and here's the the premise of the discussion because in today's world big dollar eighth mile et bracket racing with few exceptions the the recipe for success has become wreck the tree depend on a great car right and that recipe in today's world in today's um, element of big dollar bracket racing tends to be strengthened by double entries particularly same car same driver the racer these these highly skilled racers can get into a rhythm further depend on the car because you're making runs in succession it just it all comes together right with that said the argument is that among these racers there is little emphasis on driving the finish line not that they can't drive the finish line but that by and large they don't get too creative because again the margins are so tight and the equipment so good so from this discussion let's just go ahead and exclude the outliers right the Jeff Sarah's the Johnny Ezels right this is if you exclude them because obviously we've had discussions with Jeff we've had several discussions about Johnny neither one of them a bit afraid to dial up a tenth right at any given time yeah <laughs> that's not commonplace in today's world right so if we exclude them what I just outlined is become sort of the the blueprint for today's successful racer you take um, the 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 most successful racers of recent years take the Matt Datuses the Hunter Pattons the Nick Hastings right those are the biggest names in our form of the sport right now and they all by and large kind of follow this model right hit the tree as good or better than anyone really good cars really disciplined at the finish line but it's rare that you're going to see any of them dialing up three four five get super creative at the finish line um, and those are the biggest names but there are plenty more established excellent racers kind of following that same blueprint the argument here that, that this discussion followed was that today's racers today's best racers could not match their current success level had they raced with this skill set two decades ago right or that perhaps they would not have been as successful two decades ago as racers like Scotty Richardson Peter Biondo Troy Williams Jr. etc in their heyday okay so first off Jed if you're going to compare anybody to Peter Biondo, Scotty Richardson, Troy Williams Jr., like that's a pretty high bar, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I think maybe we're, we're showing our age a little bit, but I still look at that those guys and that generation as, at least in my mind, the best to ever do it. But I will disagree, and I actually had a pretty vehement, you know, respectful argument that today's racers would not hold their own that they wouldn't do just as well then as they do now i'll explain why in a minute but just initially jed because we haven't prepped on this at all when i when i frame that argument for you what's your take 
Well, look, it's, it's obviously very, it's extremely difficult to compare eras, you know. So I would say my opinion, obviously, is just that. But I would say that you're right. I would say, or I would say the the, the opinion that today's great racers would not be as competitive back in the era that you discussed is correct and simply because i think today's equipment is so much better that the reason those guys were as good as they were back then it was because you couldn't depend on that stuff as well i mean their cars were good but i don't think anything's like equipment is today so i think the reason those guys basically developed or invented the strategies that we use today was because they had to to make sure that that they were as competitive as as they wanted to be where these guys you more use that strategy now uh, based on your opponent where back then those guys drove like that every single round and I think it was because they didn't depend on their equipment or couldn't depend on it as much as they do today. They simply just let their drive and do the job where now, you know, the guys, even the guys holding one or two, they know exactly what their car run. They're just leaving themselves 15 thou there to, to cover up a mistake at the starting line or to cover up the, the 15 thou or 20 thou that you're holding. So I, I truly believe that, the original group that you discussed that that era where they started holding and, and using some strategy outside of just making time runs i truly believe those are the best racers that we'll ever see you brought up a really good point in terms of how difficult or if not impossible it is to compare eras so you know, I'm a big basketball fan. Like I, I liken this a little bit to the NBA and like the ongoing, almost eternal debate. You know, is who's the greatest of all time? Is it is it Michael Jordan? That's what the, that's what today's old heads would say, right? Is it LeBron James? Or you know, if you really wanted to take it back, you know, compare Wilt Chamberlain's game or Oscar Robertson's game with the greats of today. I don't think that's any different in our world. Granted, it's a little bit early, I think, to put any of the quote-unquote young, young guns on a pedestal with a Scotty Richardson or a Peter Biondo, but 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, like we could very, very, very well be having similar debates between Hunter Patton and Peter Biondo, between Scotty Richardson and Gage Birch, right? Um, the point being that as the eras change, it becomes an impossible debate, right? The old heads, uh, the NBA old heads would say, like, Michael Jordan would have been dominant with today's defensive rules. Like, no hand checking? Like, you couldn't stop MJ. The young guns are going to say, but LeBron is so much stronger, quicker, more explosive than any of the players of Jordan's era. Like, if you transported him back in time, he would run over that game. There's no answer, right? There's, there's no way to prove or disprove either argument. And it's the same with racing. To your point, Jed, the game has changed monumentally. Like 20 years ago, we didn't have equipment that you could dial to the thousandth, right? We didn't race exclusively eighth mile events. We didn't typically have the opportunity to double the same car, same driver, and make tens of hundreds of laps in the same car day after day, week after week. 
So the skill set to win, it was just inherently more dependent on driving the finish line. There was more holding, there was more creativity, there was more manipulation, strategy, that kind of outfoxing of opponents. Today, seemingly everybody has good stuff, right? Now the best, the, the most consistent winners, obviously their stuff is just a little bit better and they're maximizing the fine margins, right? They're just a little bit better on the tree consistently, round after round after round, a little bit better on the dial, more disciplined at the finish line. And I would agree that there is less emphasis on finish line driving because, quite frankly, it's not as important as it used to be. Like, our stuff is this good and the game is so precise. Like, you've, we've, we've said it before and you've heard it said, uh, why would I dial up 400s? Like, my car is better than I am. Like, it is, if I dial honest, it's going to run loaded on. Like, it's going to run within five thousandths of what I put on the window. I don't know that I can take five thousandths of stripe run after run after run. Like, and that's the approach that most racers, I would say rightfully, adopt in this day and age. Um, to me, that does not mean that a Hunter Patton or a Matt Dadas or insert today's star racer name here wouldn't have been awesome 20 years ago. And it also doesn't mean that Peter Biondo or Scotty Richardson couldn't get in a car and dominate today. They've both proven that they can. It's to say that the game has changed and that the most useful skill set in 2021 wasn't necessarily the most useful skill set in 2001 and vice versa. To, to liken back to my basketball analogy, you hear people say, well, you know, Michael Jordan couldn't shoot threes. Look at look the way Steph Curry shoots threes. MJ couldn't have done that. Or the, the old heads say, yeah, but Steph would get killed if he drove in the lanes in the 90s. Like, they were out to murder people. My argument again, if the game was as predicated on three-point shots as it is today, do you really think Michael Jordan wouldn't have developed a knockdown three-point game? Like the competitiveness and the work ethic of that dude, he'd have figured it out. It just wasn't important. It wasn't part of the game back then. And then if you transported Steph Curry back in time, like I think his shooting would have to translate. It just would have been way ahead of its time. Like nobody ever shot the ball like that or had the handle. Like I, I think Steph's game would work anywhere. So back to racing, like maybe today's racers aren't as incredible at the finish line because they don't have to be like i don't want to say it's a useless skill like it it still absolutely behooves you to be a competent solid finish line racer but it's not nearly as important as it used to be what is important today it's exactly what these young racers are putting their emphasis on okay I would argue, like, put Nick Hastings in a car that won't repeat when nobody else's car will. And, like, perhaps his current skill set might not be best suited for dominance the way that he dominates today. But I promise you this, he'd figure it out. Same with the other guys. Let, I thought about this when I was trying to frame this. How would you, what if we put together, Jed, this race? And we said, okay, guaranteed million dollar to win race, quarter mile. Bandamere Speedway, Denver, Colorado. And the reason I picked Bandamere, if you have ever raced there or talked to anyone that races there, and we lengthen it out to quarter mile, I don't care if you made a run 15 minutes ago, you are not going to hold it to the floor and go dead on. 
like it's impossible right the place is just it's it is it's got a mind of its own right so now you are in a situation where it is you are going to have to drive the finish line to win the race you can't hold it on the floor nine rounds in a row and win that event if that's a one-off race like we announce that we're going to have that race tomorrow and you want to argue that the big names of today wouldn't be the favorites i'll listen to you like you know that that specific event probably not catered to the skill sets of some of today's biggest names in racing okay it would be outside of their comfort zone speaking to that that hypothetical jed like how fired up would jeff sarah johnny zell mikey bloomfield scotty richardson the williams brothers like you announce that race like they're like yeah can we be there tomorrow right would, would i mean salivate over that so again back to my point if that's a one-off race maybe some of the names that we're familiar with seeing in late rounds perhaps they don't fare as well but the flip side of that argument for me is okay what if we did that five times a year five times a year we're going to have a guaranteed million or 500 grand or whatever the case may be quarter mile at denver i think if you did that repeatedly the cream would rise all of the racers that we just talked about that said you know their current skill set is not best suited to that type of competition if that's if you had to prove that you could win in that manner to win the biggest races in the country i think over time the best racers would figure out a way to win in that manner yeah that's impossible to argue against luke i i I agree i've always said no matter what changes you make to the format or the rules you know the whether it's true starts or uh, auto starts or any of those other things that we've always dabbled around with and changed for the you know the the fairness and competitive nature of the sport the winners win they figure it out quicker than everyone else and that's going to continue if you have the format that you've proposed here uh, i couldn't agree more maybe in race one there would be a learning curve and some challenges that didn't get overcome but it wouldn't take long and they would figure it out like they always do and they would find a way to just be better than most of those around them that's just what they do so i agree 100 percent. i think the the winners would adapt fairly quickly yeah and i think the same is true if you flip flip it around too because you took look at a racer like i'll use shane carr as an example right because shane is part of that old guard right like shane came up racing with scotty richardson and was always holding was always going under and, and is a an excellent finish line racer still is obviously but you look at the way that shane approaches eighth mile bracket racing now shane hits the tree as good or better than anyone he's in good equipment and if you're watching like he's not holding much right like the game has gotten very precise you had kevin brandon on after his win at the million and i would say along with you know racers like jeff sarah like johnny zell like the williamses um KB, I would put against anybody driving the finish line. He's incredible at that end of the racetrack and has, for the better part of his career, uh, been very aggressive in terms of he's rarely dialed what he could go. 
well, you interviewed him after the million. It's the biggest win of his career. Granted, that fell into his comfort zone late with the, the way that that race progressed. But through the first seven, eight rounds, KB's like, yeah, um, yeah, I, I could go like five thou under. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was pretty sure I could just hold it to the floor there, right? Because they have adapted like, hey, this is the the most logical, the quote-unquote easiest, like, this is the best way to win races right now in this climate. Yeah, I mean, you see that more and more out of the 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 best in the sport. I mean, um, you know, Scotty, Peter, those guys can run the dial. Um, and I, I wouldn't say this is every round, but I would say for the most part, they can run the dial. They can make sure if they slowed down seven, eight out of the middle, they could still cover the dial, but nobody's out there doing, I say nobody, you, you mentioned a couple earlier that are, but outside of uh, just a handful of guys, guys aren't doing anything crazy out there with a dial in because the equipment's too good. So um, it's definitely, I guess it's, it can be viewed different ways. It's refreshing to know that, Hey, my opponent is not going to throw me a, a super huge trick here that that I don't see coming. But the reason they're not doing that is because they're good and their stuff is good. So that can be uh, it can also be intimidating to know that heck, Kevin Brennan don't feel like he's got a hold on me because he knows he's going to hit the tree and he knows he's going to run the dial in. So now I've got to throw together a great run. You know, it's just I'm not going to go down there and trick him into messing up because he's not doing any tricks. So it can be intimidating as well. It's a double-edged sword because on one hand, KB's not going to anchor off and feed you 50 to make you look silly and be 2,000s under. On the other hand, the reason he's not going to do that is because he's about to lay down like six total, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, it is a double-edged sword. Well said. My, uh, my, the point of my argument here, Jed, I, I think I could sum up pretty simply is that I don't think that winning is a skill set so much as it is an attitude. And I think that's what you see uh, as a common thread among winners at the highest level, whether it's from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, or today, is that there is, they have that can do attitude. And a willingness to to decipher where, and probably more importantly, how to improve their skill set meshed around the needs of today's game. Yeah, Luke, I've heard the best in the sport say it many times throughout my announcing where I got an opportunity to talk to the greats out there. And I've heard them say it over and over for years. Yeah, you know, I... I run the first couple of rounds there. I gave it back one thou, and then I gave it back two thou. Car hadn't moved five thou to three thirty, so I said, "Screw it! I just put the dial on it, and I'm holding it to the wood." And there are a lot of a lot of championship caliber racers that are uh, putting that strategy, if if that's a good word that fits, putting that strategy into play when they have had a little bit of poor luck or things go the other way at the finish line for the first couple of days or couple of rounds because the cars are so good they they just decided to let them do the work and uh, I imagine there's been times where you utilize that strategy as well so um, 
that's a position that I really don't want the greats to be in. I, I don't want them letting go and holding it to the wood. I'll say that sometimes that's impossible. Sometimes you, because people say they're going to do it and then they still give it back at the hour or two, uh, knowing that they couldn't break out. But that's really not somewhere because I know the, the best out there have great equipment. They generally let go on time. I don't want them making time shots beside me. I don't know that I, that I, I got to make a better time shot than they do. I'd rather know they're holding a hundredth and a half and maybe I can sneak by with a decent run. But um, I, I've heard it a lot over the years where they just decided to, to say heck with it. I'm not, not holding one or two anymore. I'm just going to make time shots. And uh, that works out for them a lot as well. The winners are going to win, just like you said. Now, we said all of that, and I'll, I'll circle back and, jed, and say this. The game has changed, okay? And, and I think we all have to accept that. That doesn't mean that you have to love it, okay? It doesn't mean that you can't romanticize yesterday or yesteryear, but I do think that you can do so without disrespecting the current players, okay? I'll, I'll circle back to basketball once again. Like, basketball fans love to hate James Harden, right, for what he's brought into the game. Just like golf enthusiasts, Jed, love to hate Bryson DeChambeau, right? The, both of them approach their game with a, an analytic approach. It's different, right? It's, it bucks tradition. And uh, in a vacuum, perhaps, is a more intelligent, a, a smarter way to approach the game. It's just not the way that it's always been done, right? Uh, James Harden, like, you, you may not like him flopping on three-pointers and kicking his legs out to get free three throws, but when you look at it in terms of the points gained from that, it's a pretty smart play, right? You may not like Bryson DeChambeau bulking up to, to hit the ball 500 yards, but uh, looking at it, like, on today's courses, that gives him a better opportunity to win. Now, translate that into our sport. Like, you don't have to like the, the idea that by and large, eighth mile bracket racing in 2021 is becoming more of a practice tree race every single day. Like everybody's got amazing equipment. The variable is on the starting line. To be perfectly honest, like I don't personally feel like it is as fun to watch or to compete in as it was when our stuff wasn't that good, right? I like, personally, I like the strategy. I like the uncertainty. Uh, I think that's why I'm drawn more and more to like 90 racing just because that aspect is back into play like you don't necessarily know what you can run your opponents don't necessarily know what they can run you don't have to like double entries like same car same driver i'm kind of on record i'm not a huge fan of that but to say that the nature of the game and or the rules of the game are the only reason that certain racers are having success I think that's a really misguided statement, right? Racers will always look for any means to find a legal advantage in the current rules, right? At today's biggest events, more often than not, that means that same car, same driver doubles are welcome. In that instance, I think there would be little disagreement that you have to double. And I think it's a significant advantage to be doubled in the same car versus trying to drive two separate cars. And by and large, 
the the best racers take advantage of that the winning racers take advantage of that but that's no different than years past right in years past the more common rule was that you you could double if you drove two different race cars right you you could not double same car same driver so guess what i did guess what peter biondo did guess what scotty richardson and troy williams jr and the successful racers of that time did by and large we all had two race cars right we were trying to best position ourselves within the rules that were provided no different than what james harden has done in basketball no different than what bryson dechambeau has done in golf the racers aren't the ones that make the rules we're just doing our best to conform to them in a way that gives us as much advantage as possible the best racers find a way to operate within the rules and i think that you have to respect that i guess my point is like you can hate the game but you can't hate the player for taking advantage of the game the way that it's constructed <laughs> no that you you can't but you also can because that's just human nature we're gonna we're gonna find a reason to dislike the people that are finding loopholes or figuring out ways to uh, maximize their opportunities within the rules and you know when it pays off for them yeah yeah we can dislike that loop you you might think we can't, but us humans, us, us mortals, yeah. Yeah, we can find a way to not like the people that are figuring it out at the highest level. I mean, I've done it for years, so. So, if you agree with me, and let's go there first, like, would you agree? And I don't know how to, how to quantify this necessarily. Like, take me back to early 2000s, right? So that was, that was kind of the B&M series heyday. That's when you and I met, right? So if you were to break it down, like what was the, the secret sauce, like the mixture of winning? Obviously, there was still some percentage reaction time. There was some percentage dependence on equipment and there was some percentage finish line ability. And I think finish line ability outweighed the others. Like I felt like it was at least half of the pie. And today I would say that that shrunk to like you want to be competent at the finish line. But I'd say like to win eighth mile bracket races uh, consistently it's maybe 10% of the pie. Like, do you think that that's fair? Yeah, I would say that's fair. That's a fair number. And, and back in that, those early B&M days or even the late B&M days, because it finished in the early 2000s, uh, there was definitely uh, an emphasis on finish line driving. Um, you have, you know, you had only probably 15% of the crowd even attempting to do much finish line driving, maybe 20% at the most back in those days. Uh, and, and the Scotties and, and yourself and uh, Bones, a lot of the very good racers uh, in that era just dominated based on their ability to, to perform at the finish line. Um, you know, it was, you just heard it for years. Ah, he took, you know, Eight thou, seven thou. He can't see that. There ain't no way they can see that. Now nobody questions whether you can see it. A guy takes five to seven now, and it's it was intentional, and feel like he saw it. Now now everything's running 145 plus mile per hour, or a lot of your dragsters are. So obviously that seven thou is a little easier to see today than running uh, you know 130 or 125. But nonetheless. The finish line drivers were very intimidating 
and very difficult to beat back in the day because a lot of people just protected themselves from a breakout. Now racers don't have to protect themselves from a breakout. They, they run the same thing all day. But back then, a racer would dial it down, you know, a hundredth. Or if he, went, if he went dead on with a five, he would dial it down to the next number just to make sure in case it picked up six thou that he could still go dead on. And when it slowed down six thou and he went 21 thou above, he was dead meat against the great finish line drivers. Those things don't happen nearly as often. They happen now, but they don't happen nearly as often. Well, and you just think about it too, because like, what is the, the kryptonite today? Like say that you're paired with someone that dials up 600s. Oftentimes, as long as, as long as my car is good, like my default is to just go, okay, well, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I'm going to get to dead on and like, I'm just going to lay down a run you can't beat, which I think is, is logical thinking in this day and age. 20 years ago, you couldn't say, like, I'm going to get to dead on because we didn't know where the hell it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you, it, yeah, good, it, good point. It just gave the, the gifted finish line drivers a, a more significant advantage. So if we can agree on that, Jed, that uh, there was an impetus on uh, successfully driving the finish line to, to win at a high level in a, in, in a past era, what is... And that, and, and that particular skill set is not as important today. What is the skill set today that separates the best competitors, the, the, the strongest winners from the rest of the field? Yeah, Luke, I, I think I see your notes here and, and I agree, but I would say that it's um, not only what you're going to talk about coming up, but just consistency overall consistency in the run i, I think uh, racers that develop a solid routine that don't let that you know they don't let things distract them or take them out of their game you know if if this guy took uh, another 15 seconds longer than the last guy to to get in there and pre-stage and stage you know now i'm pissed off and I think that, that he's trying to play games over there, so that affects my, my mental state or my consistency in my routine. Um, I think the better racers, the, the racers that do it at the highest level today, they know what you're doing over there, but they really don't give a crap. They're just waiting on you to come on in, and they're going to just go through the same motions that they always go through. They're going to let go on time. They're going to know right where the spot is that they need to go around you or that they need to turn you loose. Or if it's going to be really close and they can't tell, then they know right where they've got to, to kill it, to go dead on. And they consistently, I guess, put their strategy into play and execute it time after time after time. No, that's well put. And I do think that's more of a, a, a sign of the, the current nature of competition because you kind of frame consistency around like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in these pre-race games, but I, I think it applies down track as well. Like I think the strongest racers of today aren't going to say, okay, well, I'm going to alter my strategy because I know that my opponent's holding 400s. Like in this day and age, like they know where 400s is at just like you know like whatever it is that you're trying to do it's it's almost i think 
to your point that the best racers today say, I'm not going to trick you, but I'm going to beat you. <laughs> you know, I and think then, so. And, and I think that that's a, a, a subtle but important change uh, in the way that we approach things. You know, I keep referencing 20 years. Obviously, that's an arbitrary number, but 20 years ago. I thought about this a little bit when we were prepping for the show, Jed. And to me, similar along similar lines to what you just said, I think that the most impressive skill set today, given the nature of these big dollar races specifically, the, I said most impressive, perhaps most important skill set, is I can't think of a better way to frame it other than just saying mental fortitude. And specifically on the starting line, because I know that you've been here, and, and if you're listening to this, you've probably been yourself. Like, it is one thing to go hit the tree three times within a tight window. It's another thing to hit the tree, to be good on the tree nine times, and go up there and hit it the tenth time in a day, or the thirtieth time in a weekend or the 50th time in a five-day race. Like, I remember going through this at the old five-day races where by, like, day 12, you just hit a rut. Like, you're just tired of staring at the tree and letting go of the button. Like, it, it what is normally so fun and so exciting becomes so monotonous, right? Sure. And then you combine that with the physical toll that these mega races take on us over the course of, of a day, much less a week, um, and you combine that then with the stress and the pressure of racing for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in being able to just kind of be robotic in that, which, what, what is a very simple routine, like stage the car carefully, set the button, light comes on, let go, right? Like it's in theory, not that complicated, but I think we can all agree it is very easy to get in your head in that process. And I am constantly amazed by the the cream of the crop if you will that just seems to repeatedly be able to let go within a five thousandths or hundredth of a second window round after round day after day like that to me is the skill set in 2021 that separates the haves from the have-nots yeah luke i think you make a great point there and and just an example of that is uh, something that I know you're big on is button pressure, uh, consistent button pressure and knowing that, you know, I'm doing the exact same thing every time. And then add to that, the guy that's three to five or three to seven, three hits in a row, you've got your, you've got a certain percentage of racers that do that two or three times and they've added three or four thou each time to protect themselves and then the one time they're just human and average, they let go 23 and they're beaten. The greats go three to seven and don't change a thing because they know I'm right where I want to be. And I have no fear of letting go five thousandths too soon. I'm letting go just where I want to let go. I've got consistent button pressure and, you know, I'm, I'm going through my routine. Everything's perfect. So I'm going to leave it where it is. And that's the difference in the greats and the people that stretch that window out a little bit. They have to protect themselves from the red light. And protecting yourself from the red light at some point is going to catch up with you. No, it's an interesting thought exercise because it is one thing to just be a, a Black & Decker tree wrecker and to, to, have, to have a grouping within five thousandths of a second 
when that grouping is 10 to 15, right? And there's exactly. basically no pressure going red. Do that and roll 7 thou, 8 thou out and move that same grouping to 2 to 7. Like it's just a, it's a, it's a psychological hurdle. Like it, it's, it's not in theory any more difficult to do, but I think most of us would agree that in practice, it's more difficult to do. And in the, given the nature of today's competition, that's what's required to have success. So those kind of nerves of steel, that, that roboticism, if you will, I don't even know if that's a word, the, the ability to do that and, and to not, and to do so in a, in a relatively fearless manner, I think that's the separating force today. Yep, I would agree with that wholeheartedly, Luke. And I think all of the greats will, would tell you, you know, whether they want to have that discussion with you or not. But I think they'd all tell you that uh, confidence in letting go great and continuing to let go great is what separates them from the crowd. I mean, uh, you can't have that fear of going red and uh, start loading that box full of numbers because at some point it's going to bite you. So, you know, I hear I hear the real good racers like yourself, uh, not blowing smoke up your skirt, but hear you guys say a lot. You know, when, when I let go, I knew it, and I let go as good as I can let go, and I I have no fear of letting go any better than that. You know, I honestly just don't have those moments. I mean, I can get in a tight window at times, but I, I don't, I never just tell myself there's no way I can let go four or five thousandths better than I just let go. But the greats truly believe that and they stick with their strategy and their numbers in the box. And, you know, most of the time it seems to work out for them. Now, and the mind's a funny thing, Jet, and this, I think, comes completely down it's it's all psychological at that point and it's uh it's funny because the great racers are probably not any less likely to let go five thousandths of a second quicker than others but it's that's not the difference the difference is the belief that they won't you know what i mean yeah, like and, and just that that i that idea permeates and it's uh no, it's it's an interesting thing because I feel like we get into this a lot within this is bracket racing elite. And I know I'm going down a little bit of a of a rabbit hole, but we've all been there where you where you know what it feels like to struggle on the starting line, and you make a run and you get the time slip and be like, "Whoa, was I even on that racetrack? Like that's not what I thought I hit the tree at all, right?" And, and when you when you have those moments, as simple as it is to say, like every single round is a reset it's so much more difficult to do because then the back of our mind permeates and, and you just like, well, you just thought you were hit it and you, you were 25, like, don't do that again, right? And, and the more you go down that road, like you just completely get lost and never can, can really find yourself or get into a rhythm at the tree. That's common. What, what works the opposite direction, and I think at least in my own experience can be just as debilitating is like I speaking for myself and I'm sure that I'm not the only one I can be my own worst enemy too like I can go up there and make five consecutive runs within a three five thou window and be just wrecking it right and have all the confidence in the world and then the next round as I set the trans break button after I've staged you know what the last thought into my mind is well hell what are the what are the odds like you can't keep this up all day like you're bound to miss it sooner or later <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that, that stuff is real. And, and it, and it, I think to some level it affects every single one of us, 
but it is incredibly impressive to me how little it affects the majority of the truly standout performers today. Yeah, very well said. That's uh, that's definitely something that I think separates the greats from the the goods. You know, I'm not saying there's a bunch of bad racers out there, but just being good sometimes isn't enough. You got to be good and lucky that you don't run into that crazy good run. And I think the greats are just a little more likely to put down that run than than anyone. Yeah, this has been fun. I really appreciated this conversation. I hope the listeners like it as much as we do. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm ready to close this out. What do you think? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, it has been a lot of fun, but Luke, uh, be quite honest to the to the listener. It's 10 o'clock, uh, a little past 10 p.m. Central Time here in Birmingham, which means producer Mark is a little past 11 and five o'clock comes early so i don't want to cut you listeners short i know you want more you're begging for it but we got to come to an end here uh you know we we definitely want to hear from you we love hearing from you you can reach out to us on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page you can message us which means only we see it or producer mark sees it you can put it out there for the world to see we like things for the world to see because it it just generates a lot of content and discussion so whatever accountability has been a buzzword lately we like accountability put it out there for everybody very well said luke so get it out there in the public tell us your opinion we just gave you ours tell us yours tell us where we're wrong just you know flat tell us guys you totally missed on this or tell us you know what guys you nailed that either way we want to hear from you that's what we love we just love transparency and honesty so Get with us on the podcast Facebook page. Tell us what you think. Uh, we would love to hear from you early and often. Uh, Luke, I don't, I mean, it's late. I don't know if you got shouts. If you don't, just tell me, Jed, keep rolling. If you do, let's hear them. But roboticism, I want to hear that get a shout out. Definitely. I, I'm a short list today, but we're going to definitely, we're going to shout out roboticism. I've got to look that up. If yeah. it's not a word, it should be. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm going to shout out Darian Bosch and Darian Bosch. Way to go, <laughs> Darian. And uh, I'm going to shout out the two mile, dude, the 200 mile an hour wheelbarrow because I, I hadn't, I, I wish I'd have thought of that. That was good. <laughs> Great uh, short list of shouts. That's late night shouts from Luke Bogacki. We appreciate that. And uh, guys, we just love hearing from you. If you like to, to get on the Twitter, you can tweet either Luke or myself or both of us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Thank you for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week. We appreciate you listening to the show and hearing all the, the discussion. Make sure you reach out to us and tell us what you think. And until then, we'll catch up with you later and talk to you about some more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests 
racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.